Welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, we have breaking news to discuss, and we're going to talk about some fantasy implications, some best ball content, going position by position, trying to figure out how to approach each of the fantasy football positions with one of the best in the business, someone who I read every time he publishes an article. He is one of the many fine folks over at Underdog. It is Hayden Winks. Mr. Winks, how are you? Well, now you got me nervous that I have too many grammatical mistakes uh, in my in my columns if you're if you're reading them. But glad I, to be on. I promise you, you will find many mistakes in the nonsense the 8,000 piece, 8,000 word nonsense I file every yep. couple of weeks. Um, no, obviously you do really great work over at underdog. And I, and I think you have such a good sense of thinking about the big picture and thinking about how, how people are viewing a position. That's why I really wanted to have you on was talk about that stuff. But before we do that, I feel like we should talk about the news that broke this afternoon. That's felt like one of the worst kept secrets in football, for about a month now, which is that Dalvin Cook was not going to be on the Minnesota Vikings. We had reports this morning that Dalvin Cook was going to be released by the Minnesota Vikings. Adam Schefter, I believe, followed that up by tweeting that they are planning to release him, but that they could consider trying to trade him today before releasing him tomorrow i don't know why anybody would trade anything for him when he could be released tomorrow but it's certainly possible but hayden let's start with this in terms of dalvin cook obviously the first conversation a lot of folks are having are about where he should go next so from your perspective um, in terms of real football, in terms of fantasy football, just in terms of looking at the league, looking at the rosters, the halfback depth charts around the NFL, where do you think Dalvin Cook should go? Well, I think that the Dolphins are the team that he wants to go to, and mm-hmm. I do think that there is room for them. They, Them and the Cowboys have, I think, the smallest running back depth charts that I could possibly remember between mm-hmm. A-Chain Mostert and Jeff Wilson and then Deuce Vaughn, like literally the smallest player, backing up Tony Pollard coming off an injury. So I like the Cowboys and the Dolphins. I think both of those uh, front offices I do think are dying to add another running back. So I think I would start there. But there's there's always a couple of teams that could surprise us as well. Absolutely. Do you Do you think if you're the Cowboys and you have the possibility of bringing back Zeke, into that that sort of rotational role with Tony Pollard. Would you rather have Dalvin Cook? Is there a significant difference at this point for you between Dalvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott? That's the problem right now for Dalvin Cook is last year was the first year watching Dalvin Cook that it seemed like there was just a little bit less explosiveness than Mm -hmm. what you're used to. Obviously, Dalvin Cook was so explosive, so it's not hard for him to take a dip. And then I was looking at the uh, next-gen stats data, and basically any of the efficiency stats were not very kind to Dalvin Cook. I will say that the Vikings' interior offensive line last year 
had some mistakes certainly in that he was hit at the line of scrimmage at a really high rate Mm -hmm. but just watching him i am a little bit worried about the explosiveness and plus his issue and why I think it kind of lingered so long is he had off-season shoulder surgery, which was mm-hmm. long overdue. He's had shoulder problems for a long time, and that's, I think, kind of delayed some of this process of him getting released, too. So there are some injury risks, and I think for Zeke Elliott, he is what he is at this point. He is really not explosive. Obviously, <laughs> everyone knows that, but he does do one thing very well, and that is pass protect. And mm-hmm. I know it sounds silly to say, but I do think that that's, that's exactly kind of what the Cowboys are looking for. Um, so I think that either Cook or Zeke uh, going back to Dallas would not surprise me at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what kind of player you want, right? I guess if you figure you want someone between the tackles, you want someone who can pass protect Ezekiel Elliott, probably your preference. If you want a more explosive player, someone who's going to be more of a featured part in the passing game where Dalvin Cook has played very well in years past, it would seem to make sense that you would lean towards Dalvin Cook. The, The injuries are such a difficult thing with Dalvin because the numbers say he he's missed time every year before last season. He played a full 17 games for the first time last year, but even in the years where he's played, um, 13, 14 games. There have been so many stretches where he's come out of games and looked like he was hurt and then gone back in or maybe missed a week and come back. There are so many games where he'll play, you know, 20% of the snaps and then then be done or 40% of the snaps and be finished for the day. And I I think that's the, the difficult part if you're someone wanting to bring in Dalvin Cook is there's no question he can be a useful player in the right scheme when he's he's right but do you want to pay him like he's going to be a starter when you might there's not a ton of evidence last year being the exception saying he's going to be healthy for an entire season yeah i completely agree and that's why i think that he's best fit in a kind of change of pace mm-hmm. role and that's why i think that's how he would be used in miami specifically just the reality is he runs way harder than what his size is like he's really not that big uh, among nfl running backs but he runs really hard and that's what's been kind of keeping him on that injury list too so i think like get him 10 carries per game we'll see if that explosiveness can come back but i would be pretty surprised if anyone is going to pay him Mm -hmm. or if anyone's going to actually make him the true workhorse i do think that he's more of a committee guy and i think that's Mm -hmm. probably the best for dalvin cook maybe get a couple extra years um, on nfl rosters that way too absolutely now the flip side of this of course we talked about dalvin cook going somewhere else what about the viking situation i think there's been plenty of discussion both before before Thursday and on Thursday about Alexander Madison taking over the primary role in this offense. But do you think they make a move for another running back or do you think they're set with Madison and then maybe uh, it looks like Ty Chandler might be the number two back behind him? The the big thing with the offseason for the Vikings that we knew Dalvin Cook was going to leave is when they gave Alexander Madison $7 million over the next two mm-hmm. years, which I think was probably an extra million or two more than what I was expecting and a clear signal that Dalvin Cook was mm-hmm. not going to be a part of the picture. They seem pretty adamant that Alexander Madison has at least three down abilities. I do think that he has the size and kind of the comfortness uh, when you're talking about playing out in space and also being a goal line back. I don't think Alexander Madison's a difference maker either i think that he can break a couple tackles but lacks the juice he's kind of like the the opposite version of what dalvin cook Mm kind of brings but he can kind of be a volume hog 
uh, what was interesting last year with the Vikings is they just didn't use their running backs as much as they had previously under Kevin O'Connell. It seems like mm-hmm. this uh, front office and coaching staff are pretty analytics focused. And I think they're going to be really pass heavy at least this year. Even the Vikings were 28th in expected half PPR points to their running back room combined. So I think Alexander Madison is going to be the guy that they're going to be betting on to handle mm-hmm. a lot of the work. I think that he's going to be kind of stuck in RB2 land. And I think that they paid him enough money that we should expect him to be that guy, especially because I think Ty Chandler, he's the number two right now. But I didn't think that he was that interesting of a prospect. He's already uh, 25 years old after Mm -hmm. his rookie season last year. Dwayne McBride's actually the guy that I found really interesting. He was a absolute workhorse on early downs at UAB. He popped off on yards after contact and all the efficiency numbers that I look for 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 prospects. Plus, he got a lot of volume. He was an early declare. The problem is right now he's still not practicing. He had a late season injury to his knee, I believe an MCL. Uh, so he still hasn't practiced as of yet. And he went in the sixth round, I think, because of that uh, injury and because mm-hmm. he doesn't play on passing downs. But I do think that Dwayne McBride could be kind of interesting, really deep sleeper, especially if you are in some dynasty leagues. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's a... I think certainly an element of his what his role is going to look like in the long term in the in the passing game, whether he can be a pass blocker, let alone a pass catcher. But there should be a role for him when he's healthy in this offense. And I think this is an organization that, like you said, is analytically inclined. They are thoughtful and and certainly paying attention to prospect age as they draft players, as they bring players into this organization. So, that would be a concern um, with with Chandler, the idea that maybe that they're going to be sour on him because he already is, you know, entering mm-hmm. what might be his prime seasons or his prime years as an NFL running back. But a really interesting situation for the Vikings where, you know, publicly, I read about this a little bit in my column this week, like, you know, to some subset of the NFL world, they're a 13 and four football team. Like they're <laughs> legitimately one of the best teams in football last year, but by any, I, I can't think of a single measure I've seen that's not wins and losses that says the Vikings were a really good football team last year. And, and so I think that front office, which again, they're not stupid or naive to how lucky they were last year in terms of how they played. Like they're approaching this, like they need to, if not rebuild at the very least, get younger and retool but it also kind of feels like if they do take the step backwards, everyone is expecting this year, people are going to say, well, why did you cut Dalvin Cook and Eric Kendricks and Adam mm-hmm. Thielen and all these veterans who were a part of your 13-win team, even though there's a good chance this would have happened, even if maybe even more so if they'd kept those those players around? I'm really interested to see if they're actually going to trade one of their star edge rushers and Daniel Hunter. Um, that yeah. would be a big sign that this front office really knows that they're not actually really competing. They're they are definitely in the middle ground. They've been like trying to extend Kirk Cousins on a year to year basis. They actually stopped that this offseason. I was going to ask yeah. you, Bill. I mean, this is really galaxy brain. You never see this in the NFL quarterbacks getting traded or anything like that. Uh, at least like this far into the off season mm-hmm. the Kirk Cousins thing is really interesting he's in the last year of his contract they can save 10 million dollars if they do trade him I don't think this is actually going to happen but this would be like kind of like the chaotic last thing that I can possibly <laughs> see in the NFL offseason where the Vikings go into absolute tank mode uh, I think that they were looking at the rookie quarterbacks last year but they just sat in a bad part of the draft so I'm very interested to see how far the Vikings are going to kind of tank uh I shouldn't say tank 
but kind of they know they're resetting. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of like the last big galaxy bring thing I can think of looking at all the contracts across the NFL. Absolutely. I mean, it certainly feels like Kirk Cousins's future is somewhere else. And yes. I, I, I think there's a legitimate chance, and this is relevant for people playing best ball and who are drafting Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison, if the Vikings are out of contention and it's December, would you be shocked if they were playing Jaron Hall at quarterback or they were giving Nick Mullins yeah. a chance at quarterback and Kirk was you know, going to be moving on? Like, like It's not the Derek Carr situation because there's no, there's no worry about injury guarantees at the end of the year, but it would not shock me if this was a team that was moving on and that was, if not tanking, at least trying out some of their younger players in meaningful mm-hmm. roles, like a Madison, like a Jaron Hall, um, over the next, or not over the, not over the next few months, but into December and maybe the first couple of weeks of January if they're out of playoff contention. So I, it's such a weird situation. I, I can't yep. think of many teams like this where you had a very successful season on the surface, a such a middling season underneath and a front office that I think is aware of the situation. Yes. Like I think about the, um, the Jack Del Rio Raiders where they had kind of a similar season with great record, totally unsustainable. And they kind of felt like, okay, we're good. We're going to keep doing this. But they ended up getting fired and ended up losing their jobs because they uh, went from 12 and four to six and 10 with the same core. I, I, these guys know better. And so I think that's going to make for a really interesting season here in minnesota i i trading cousins might be tough but i do think that it's not out of the realm of possibility especially if they do get off to an ugly start um last thing i wanted to ask you about this was with madison so on underdog as of this morning he was going his his adp was 76 and a half for best ball mania four um 76 and a half is the is early in the seventh round if i'm doing the math correctly correct okay nice um obviously he's going to rise up now given that dalvin cook is no longer on this roster whether it's best ball whether it's a more traditional fantasy league where would you be comfortable taking alexander madison in this new role assuming that there's no significant addition to the roster so I'm looking at the fifth round because that's where Joe Mixon currently sits as the running back 17. Right next to him is J.K. Dobbins as the running back 18. I think it's going to be difficult for him to pass those two uh, just because I think that people really like J.K. Dobbins' talent. And I think Joe Mixon, just his, his history, as and especially this year without Samaj P. Ryan, it's going to be hard to eclipse them. So I'm looking at... Running back 19 is kind of where I'm thinking he's going to land. He's the current RB22, so a slight raise for him. But I think a lot of it was already kind of priced, and he was even going ahead of Dalvin Cook as of uh, this morning Mm -hmm. uh, before this news even broke. So I think there's room for some uh, upgrades, but I will go back and just give a little caveat that Alexander Madison, when he was stepping in for the injured Dalvin Cook, that was with a different regime. That was a very kind of run-heavy balance. I shouldn't say Mm -hmm. run-heavy, but they were certainly balanced, and they definitely gave the ball to the running backs a ton. I don't think that Kevin O'Connell is necessarily trying to do that, especially uh, I think that their receiving core is even better this year. Full full year of Hawkinson. I think Addison's going to be an upgrade over what they got from Adam Thielen last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he's going to pass the ball a ton. So I think Alexander Madison can be a fine RB2. I'm not going to get too carried away and extrapolate what he did in previous years because even Dalvin Cook last year was a pretty boom-bust RB2 himself. Do you think it's likely that 
Madison will end up overrated from people sort of seeing this this change in role and sort of getting almost too aggressive to try and draft him? He seems like he's just going to be a fair value because I'm not sure how many people like are love Alexander Madison. I think that we liked him from like a DFS standpoint where it's like, oh, Dalvin Cook's out and Alexander Madison's 5K. Like we mm-hmm. have to play him. Right. I'm not sure if people are really going to get over uh, zealous with him. I mean, like Damian Pierce is the RB20. I would rather have Damian Pierce than Alexander Madison. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Pierce can really play. I think Alexander Madison's uh, somebody that his best trait is just his versatility and size. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Damian Pierce has both of those, but I think that he has a little bit more wiggle and juice than Madison mm-hmm. has. So I think he'll be appropriately priced. If he was a, another kind of sexier backup, I do think that there would be a lot of steam here. But it seems like Madison's just kind of somebody that everyone's like, yeah, he's he's decent. Yeah, and it does feel like there was some element of this already priced in. It's not like Certainly. this was a shocking decision that happened today where it was, oh my God, Dalvin Cook is released by the Vikings. I think mm-hmm. people who are in, underdog, uh, I'll be... I'll be complimentary certainly i feel like there's a very smart uh yes. group of people playing on underdog so i think it's you know not people who are naive to the fact that this was coming for for several months now with dalvin cook and alexander madison so i think a lot of it already priced into where he was going over the uh you know sort of especially in the last few weeks it's, it's become clearer and clearer that this would be happening for the minnesota vikings yep okay completely agree. so let's talk about some of this positional stuff and and how you're viewing the player pool at each spot in the lineup. And we just talked about running backs. Depending on who you ask, running backs are either the most important position in fantasy or seemingly um, in annoyance that you just have to occasionally draft to get by. I'm not going to ask you to weigh in on that, but just in terms of how you're viewing the running back position, especially on underdog, because it is such a unique spot in terms of how dramatically the sort of field has shifted away from running backs in recent years when it comes to underdog, when it comes to best ball, and to some extent when it comes to traditional fantasy football as well. How are you viewing running back right now? Well, the top 24 running backs are going 10 picks later on average than they were the previous season. And even last year, it was the same thing. So if you're looking at this just from like 2020 to this year, the running backs are going like legitimately two rounds later on average and that's in half PPR. And I get it. Like to me, when we talk about the wide receivers, like to me, there's table stakes. You have to have good wide receivers. Uh, there are very few breakout wide receivers. You see more like wide receiver threes that become wide receiver one twos. You don't really see like a wide receiver six becoming a wide receiver two very often. And then at running back, you can find those at least in like kind of a one month stint just mm-hmm. because of injury now i will say when you're just looking at the projections between like the two players a running back and a wide receiver in round five the running backs just project way better so Mm -hmm. i'm going to go back to the well i'm going to be drafting probably more running backs earlier than uh most people um and a couple of them just right now really stand out like nick chubb goes in the second round Mm -hmm. ramondre stevenson goes in the third round damian pierce is kind of that running back i was talking about in the fifth round that i think projects really well getting two uh, running backs before like round six is probably where I want to kind of stop my running back allocation, mm-hmm. but I'm not afraid to like go back into the David Montgomery well a little bit later. So I think I'm going to build more running back heavy teams this year just because the price tags have dropped. Mm-hmm. 
This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Do you feel like that idea of a running back dead zone, which in years past was this idea that maybe, you know, after the first two rounds, if you were taking a running back and depends on how you define it, but I think typically third, fourth, fifth, sixth round of fantasy drafts, yep. that typically you were going to be better off drafting a wide receiver as opposed to a running back. Do you think that still exists or has it changed now because of the the rise up the boards of wide receivers? I think that there's some elements of the running back dead zone that remains true just because it's kind of a projected volume uh, mm-hmm. issue where like the running back 21, like for example, like DeAndre Swift, he could easily just be the running back 40 this year and Kenny Gainwell plays more, Rashad Penny gets more. And you don't really see that kind of uh, just projection change from like the wide receiver 18 on the season. Um, the difference this year is in the second round to me where players like Jalen Waddle, Chris Olave, they're going right next to or ahead of some guys I think could be real difference makers in half PPR, like the Nick Chubbs, like Brees Hall, like Ramondre Stevenson, even Josh Jacobs. And I think that Jalen Waddle and Chris Olave are certainly fantastic players. And I, this isn't like an anti-take on them, but to me, that's where the price increase has really jumped, is like these type of players like Chris Olave, that was the guy that you were drafting in round three, four, uh, who was a much better pick than the dead zone running backs, but now they're going in the second round. So that's where I can't I can't get on board here. I've typically been drafting a wide receiver in round one, and then a lot of the times I either go with one of the elite quarterbacks, but I definitely in the second, third round try to uh, leave at least with this Josh Jacobs, Ramondre Stevenson, Nick Chubb tier. Mm-hmm. Is there a running back in that group who you feel almost surprised like 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 if there's one running back you would just say i think this guy should be going five ten picks higher in in that 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 two three round range is there Mm -hmm. a player who comes to mind for you to me it it would be i think nick chubb could be a first round player he goes 18th overall uh he's just like right next to some wide receivers i just really really like but can't get like jalen waddle to me I just don't see how he can have the same type of season as what Nick Chubb has. Like We're kind of underestimating how important Kareem Hunt was just in a volume standpoint. I have an expected touchdowns model, and Kareem Hunt almost had seven expected touchdowns last year. I mean, if Nick Chubb gets some of that, and that was, remember, that was a a middling Browns offense. This offense at least has some upside here. Um, So I think that Nick Chubb can be a first-round player. And then I think that Ramondre Stevenson, to me, it's just, do you want to bet against matt patricia as a play caller if so and i think everyone does then i think ramondre stevenson's the easiest way to do that he has bell cow size and a skill set i think the the depth chart behind him is pretty underwhelming for the most part so i think that those two guys uh really stand out to me but really it's just if you have 215 pounds or uh, heavier than that um i kind of want you i just want like the big guys that are going to score touchdowns in half ppr I have been taking a lot of 17th round Mac Jones as my yes. my backup quarterback behind 
uh, some of the quarterbacks we'll talk about in a moment, just because it's the offense has to be better with a competent offensive coordinator versus someone who does not know how to coach offense. That, yes. That's just my my simple logic with the Patriots this year. Is uh, I'm a little more optimistic on pretty much everyone across the board. There seems fair. Assuming they, assuming the guys who make the team, like you know Kendrick Bourne might not make the team, Devontae Parker might not make the team, but um, Ramondre for sure, someone I'm very high on. Let's talk you, about the quarterback. Sorry, real quick. Do you think that there's something to uh, the smartest people in the room don't put a pencil behind their ear? Is there something <laughs> something to that? <laughs> I mean, he was an engineer in college. I yes, feel like that's he is something. Smart. It's something that like he did as like a college student, and it's kind of stuck with him. Right. And like it became like a little cute thing. Like I don't know. Um, Matt Nagy has been bald for many years. I'm not. I'm bald too. I'm not making fun mm-hmm. of him. He still wore a visor. Like. You don't need to keep the hair out of your eyes. I, I like, like you that. Don't have to. <laughs> like I, I just you know at some point you just have this thing and you stick with it. So yeah, it's a good bit. Um, it, it's a good bit, no question. Um, was it actually helping him during games? I'm very skeptical. Correct. Uh, but we will see. Um, let's talk about the quarterbacks because this is a really unique year. I feel like for quarterbacks relative to years past, um, you know there was a period several years ago. Uh, where you could take quarterbacks in the later rounds. Um, you know, it was like like sort of the meta felt like it was wait on quarterback, wait on quarterback, wait on quarterback. And now it feels like that's changing. Definitely it's changing. Um, and I think there's a lot of reasons for it, just to kind of show how much it's changed. The top eight quarterbacks are going 16 spots earlier than they were last year. And then also the kind of quarterback two range is going a full round earlier so i was looking at kind of the historical data here and before 2018 there were only 12 nfl seasons where a quarterback averaged 23.2 or more fantasy points in that season Mm -hmm. the top four quarterbacks lamar mahomes allen and hertz they're each averaging that uh many fantasy points since 2019 so not just in a one season but over the last four seasons if they had played that long. I think the big reason for that is the elite passing quarterbacks just happen to be able to run the ball. Mm-hmm. And that has not been the case. Uh, Tom Brady, pretty good quarterback, in my opinion. He was just not going to be offering the rushing stats. And rushing stats are just score more points mm-hmm. than the passing stats. So I was just going to ask you do you think that we should be looking at this kind of like historical data? Um, where the late-round quarterbacks was advantageous mm-hmm. or was the last couple of years outlier seasons from Josh Allen and stuff, that's the kind of debate because if it is an outlier and this is just the new trend, then I think that these elite quarterbacks are smash picks mm-hmm. even, the, even though they are going earlier than ever. Hmm. I, I have two thoughts about this, and the second one's going to be a question for you. Um, with with the, the idea of, like, was the last few years an outlier – it felt like the sort of the the cats out of the bag when it comes to rushing quarterbacks, right? Like that idea of, you know, oh, you could take Lamar Jackson in the twelfth round or wherever Lamar yeah. Jackson was going. But that's never going to happen again, or it won't happen for a while, at the very least. When it comes to quarterbacks rushing upside, watch this Trey Lance is like the quarterback one in fantasy this year, as I say right. that. But <laughs> you know, like 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 guy like someone with Lamar Jackson's. Um, you know, with Lamar Jackson's profile, it's going to be very tough for him to be drafted in the later rounds. I think, you know, we've seen with Anthony Richardson this year, like he settled in kind of in the 90s, um, you know, as a quarterback who we know has 
week winning upside, especially later in the season for these younger quarterbacks. Um, I think it's so tough to gauge though because of how much the the league is changing and how much that's changing fantasy football. I mean, there was a point, this point probably 10, 15 years ago where, you know, you had to have those running backs with what Pecorin calls a legendary upside. Like you had to have a Sean Alexander or a Priest Holmes. Like that was going to be the most obvious league winner because they were just so far ahead of the competition. And over the last decade, those backs have, you know, outside of a Christian McCaffrey year here or there, you know, those backs are, are not having those years as often to me. They're, they're, there's there's not that sort of dramatic, you know, running back one every single year who's going to win you the league. And as a result, I think that's made wide receivers more valuable. I think it's changed when we look at, at things at the top of boards. I think we've gotten smarter. There's more data. People are drafting more, of course, with the advent of, of, of things like best ball. So, you know, I, I, I think... It's hard to contextualize everything, but I do think that that window is closing for, or the window's closing is the wrong way to put it. I think we're smarter about how we approach quarterbacks, and I think that does leave, you know, if, if there's not an opportunity at the bottom of drafts, there's more likely to be an opportunity at the top of drafts. And I, I think the consistency you mentioned for players like Hertz, Mahomes, Jackson, where when they're on the field, they're consistently playing very well, um, just goes a long way. And yeah. The other part of this that that complicates things, and I think is one of the fascinating questions for 2023 that we're not talking about very much, is related to Jalen Hurts and the Eagles, and that's the push sneak, where we saw the Eagles, I mean, they thrived on fourth down because they were comfortable running that sneak and getting it pretty consistently, and the league did not outlaw it this offseason. They were not going to, I don't think they're going to change the way they call it. At the very least, it feels like other teams are going to use this offseason to copy it. I know there are people thinking, oh, why don't they just copy it in midseason? I promise you it's harder than that. It's not as easy just to install you know, a fourth and one play, even if it looks simple. Um, there's certainly elements the Eagles have that other teams don't have. Jalen Hurts you know, is has a very strong lower body. The Eagles have a very good offensive line. Not saying that it's going to work 100% of the time. But I think there's two questions there. Number one, do teams copy it? And number two, do they copy it with their primary quarterback? I mean, we saw Ooh. a couple of years ago, Jacoby Brissett was the sneak quarterback um, for his teams. And, you know, he was only brought in in those fourth and one roles. Um, the Chiefs, who have Patrick Mahomes and don't have him sneak since his injury against the Broncos, they had, I believe, Blake Bell um, take snaps in situations like that where he was going to be under center, uh, either on a push sneak, either on some kind of trick play. So are we pricing that into the market for certain quarterbacks? And, or, you know, is there like a, like a Taysom Hill situation from last year where Taysom Hill got quarterback numbers when he was listed as a tight end? Are there guys out there who could be taking those snaps for teams, but not listed a quarterback and have a meaningful value in fantasy football because they're, they're playing that role for their team. I think that's something at the very least to monitor as we approach preseason, as we approach camp reports, and as we see what teams are actually doing um, in the preseason this year. I still think it's going to be a win for the elite quarterbacks just because the elite quarterbacks, Mahomes, Hurts, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields in particular, are big dudes that you'd want to kind of be using in that role to some degree. Mm -hmm. I think Mahomes might be the 
um, exception there just because right. they don't. There's no point in risking it with him. They can just save that for the Super Bowl. Um, but even if there are kind of like backup quarterbacks or other positions, it still is kind of taking away points from running backs, wide receivers, no tight ends who usually have red zone production. I am a little bit nervous now that like Justin Fields is just not going to pass the ball down there and he's just going to get all of the the touchdown. Same thing with like Josh Allen we've seen in recent years. Lamar Jackson could be the same way. And I think I do think that's part of the calculus is I do think we're going to see more teams kind of copy Jalen Hurts. I do think that's going to be uh, a big point for the elite kind of quarterbacks here who are kind of this dual threat big guys and like to me it's like the second or third tier however you want to define it i'm looking at two uh kirk cousins daniel jones gina smith aaron Rodgers, jared goff russell wilson Derek carr to me those guys i don't see a whole lot of upside with any of them they've never established it before and i think it's gonna be really hard for them to kind of do that and for for best ball mania uh, you have to advance uh, top two out of your first uh, 14 weeks. And I, the elite quarterbacks have done that at a above average clip historically. And then in the finals, uh, you need, in, in at least in the playoffs, to advance from week 15 and in week 16 and then have a big game in week 17. And I do think that the elite quarterbacks can go on a three-game stretch where they are really balling out. And if you're kind of comparing that to the elite tight ends, it's just a less cons consistent position that's going to be mm -hmm. harder for uh, even Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews, very good players, very good fantasy players, to kind of string together three uh, weeks in a row. And I think that is a kind of a little underrated advantage. And the whole point of best ball is to be stacking. And mm -hmm. these top, I would say top seven quarterbacks going, including Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, man, you, if you get some of these wide receiver points in right uh, around where they're going, you can really correlate your team in, in some positive mm -hmm. ways. So, so far, I've done 40 drafts. I've drafted one of these top seven quarterbacks 77% wow. of the time. And that's when the their prices were even a little bit higher. They kind of all fall in like three, four spots. Mm -hmm. I'm going to continue to draft the crap out of them. And I'll, I'll be stacking them all the way through. And then I'll let, if, if all of a sudden Derek Carr in week 17 goes off for his first 40-point game of his career, then I'll, I'll I'll be able to sleep at night. But I do think that like the Lamar Jackson types really could uh, be game changers this year. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You alluded to tight end. Let's talk about tight end here. Um, last year, of course, Travis Kelsey, probably the most valuable player in terms of like week-to-week -week basis in fantasy football. Is that fair to say? In redraft, I would say certainly he was right up there because – in redraft, you have to choose which tight end you're starting, and it's very mm -hmm. easy to say Travis Kelsey. <laughs> in best ball, it's a little bit more interesting because you yeah. can ping pong these weeks. It's a position that's correlated to tight ends or uh, to touchdowns, and touchdowns are extremely volatile and hard mm -hmm. to project. So my strategy has been just to go three to four late round tight ends and just wow. hope that I can kind of string together their uh touchdowns in different weeks but even with that travis kelsey was dominant last year i believe he was the second most fantasy points by tight end of all time so yeah pretty good okay so if you're saying you're leaning towards three to four tight ends late in the draft i have two questions for you okay. number one do you think this is a year where the tight ends in that section of the draft are particularly interesting and number two if that's the case maybe you could uh, be so kind as to share a tight end or two you're particularly fond of in that range of the draft. Well, this rookie class is at least interesting. And uh, if you look back at the rookie tight ends over like the last, I don't know, five to 10 years, they haven't done 
anything at all. Like basically, <laughs> like Pat Frymuth was the kind of the exception uh, to this, and he was like the he ran really hot with touchdowns. But if you look at their quarterback situations for all those teams, it just happened to be really, really bad. And I do think that this year, some of these tight ends are not wor- walking into like the worst depth charts. They're all kind of looking like some upside picks. But even like the the mid round, like the the tight end two range, I do think there's just projectable volume. And what I was looking at, if you're just looking at all the player projections from about like round 14 to round 18 when the draft ends, the tight ends straight up, not like over expected or over positional replacement, straight up project as well or better than running backs and wide receivers because these guys are just on the field. Like someone like Gerald Everett, like, yeah, like, is he a massive difference maker? No. Is he going to have a bunch of targets this year? Probably not, but he's going to be on the field a lot. And mm-hmm. the wide receivers that you're drafting in that range, like, literally aren't going to be on the field very much. So, how I've been approaching it is really just correlate my tight ends with the quarterbacks I've drafted. And the problem with the uh, early round tight ends is you're drafting them and then, like, afterwards drafting the quarterback. I think it's easier to project quarterbacks and just team offenses. So I'm drafting my quarterbacks first mm-hmm. and then adding on the correlation by adding the the tight end later and just hoping that all of a sudden that tight end that usually scores six touchdowns all of a sudden has that uh, Hunter Henry season from a couple of years ago, the Dawson Knox season, mm-hmm. the Pat Fryermuth season, where all of a sudden now they've scored 10 touchdowns and now I just got pretty lucky. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is there a tight end you're willing to share with us? Oh, yeah. Um, Luke Musgrave is my favorite last round pick. He, okay. I'm not the biggest, uh, when they're not wearing pads and they're just looking at the, the OTAs and the mini camp videos. I usually don't watch too many of them. I will say Luke Musgrave looks like he's running extremely fast and looks mm-hmm. different out there. His other thing, uh, is his snap competition is another rookie tight end. So mm-hmm. kind of that narrative where rookie tight ends don't see the field. Well, one of them has to be, uh, and he went much earlier. And I think that he was just a much better pro- prospect. There's not really that mm-hmm. much target competition in Green Bay. Christian Watson, I think, is not going to be a volume hog. I think he's mm-hmm. going to be an efficient kind of number two player. They don't have that number one. So I think Luke Musgrave has some upside. But to me, it's like Tyler Higby is somebody that did not really have a massive season last year, but his volume in general has been really good mm-hmm. and the rams i think are just going to be playing madden how we always play it where <laughs> you just engage eight on defense pretend it doesn't exist get back on the field and then sling the ball all around and i do mm-hmm. think that tyler higby could be one of those guys and, and then for like redraft purposes uh where you actually have to pick which tight end is in your lineup before the week uh starts and before the touchdowns get dispersed David Njoku is my guy just because he's a great athlete. He had a stretch last year where he had a lot of targets in a row. That offense, like we said, has a lot of upside. He was really used in the red zone, and he he just goes in a part of the draft where there's like less opportunity cost. All the good wide receivers are gone. A lot of like the upside, uh, like the David Montgomery guys that I like at running back, they're also gone as well. The elite quarterbacks are gone. So David Njoku would be my guy in redraft, but for best ball purposes, I'm just stacking and waiting uh, until the last couple of rounds mm-hmm. makes total sense i if i'm leaving the stacking element aside i just talked about mac jones oh yeah i feel like i should bring up mike kosicki um you know his numbers last year took a step backwards he's not a tight end he's a wide receiver like mm-hmm. like you look at how he's used he's playing 90 percent of his snaps in the slot like he's not blocking i don't think the patriots brought him in to block i don't i think they are smart enough that at least this this you know bill o'brien regime 
or, or offense is smart enough to not use him as a, you know, as sort of a inline tight end where he's going to be blocking like he's Jonu Smith or something. He's going to be in the slot. He's going to be split out. He's going to be in a situation where he can catch passes. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is a guy who had 780 receiving yards in 2021. He, I don't think he's like a has a sort of physicality to be a great red zone option, which I think limits maybe that sort of like touchdown, not eliminates, but limits his touchdown variance. He's never had more mm-hmm. than six in a season, but like there's an opportunity to be the number one wide receiver in this offense that, you know, I think Juju's probably that guy, but Juju's going around 100. Mike Kosicki's going around 190. Mm-hmm. And when you can have a wide receiver playing tight end, that's an advantage for you. So I think Kosicki is probably to me at least, undervalued by a round or two. The it's, it's funny that you say that. The tight end I've drafted the most, aside from Luke Musgrave, is Hunter Henry. Mm-hmm. And I did this column, and it's like one of my favorite things to do is, well, first of all, I look at the veterans who are making less money than how much the Best Ball Mania 4 winner <laughs> is going to make this year. And I have a rule where you can't draft them. Uh, but secondly, just kind of like getting like that Zay Jones breakout last year where you're just like, okay, who are guys that are under drafted in fantasy, but the teams for whatever reason have paid these guys a ton. I do think that there's some correlation, at least early in that contract where they're trying to get the most out of it. Mm, and yeah, Hunter Henry, I looked, he is, has the second highest cap hit of any tight end in the NFL this year, mm-hmm. which is probably not great for the Patriots, but also probably makes him a pretty good 18th round selection. And the other thing about this is these guys like these late round tight ends don't get drafted every single time so like for people that play dfs uh a lot of like the the, how you build lineups is to see how uh, owned each player is going to be and best ball most players get drafted 100 percent of the time but your late round picks they don't get drafted every single time so i really like finding kind of some of these breakout tight ends really late in the draft and i do think that either gesicki or hunter henry is going to be a value and that's why i like you have been drafting some Patriots in like round 16, 17, and 18. Mm-hmm. All right, let's finish up with wide receiver. Obviously, so many ways you can go with wide receiver. Maybe the toughest position to kind of discuss because you have to take so many of them. They're so valuable. They're going so high. How how are you approaching wide receiver in the the wide receiver craze we currently live in? So when I first started getting into best ball, my first rule was you need to have at least four wide receivers by round seven or round eight. And I do think that holds true today. And I was looking at kind of spike weeks last year, which is just like if you finish like basically the top three wide receiver on the on the week and like the top 36 wide receivers in ADP currently like absorbed like almost 90% of the spike weeks last year. So mm-hmm. that's why I was talking about it's hard to find true breakout wide receivers, which means you have to pay up for them. Now, I will say the top 50 wide receivers on underdog right now are up six spots on average. That kind of uh, wide receiver two range I was talking about, they're up almost eight spots ahead. So right now, I agree that you need to have probably four decent wide receivers I'm not sure if I'm going to be following the crowd where I'm drafting six good ones this year, just because how I want to view my wide receivers is I'm going to, if I'm paying for them early, I want to actually make sure I'm using all of their points. And the the way to actually get the most value from these early round wide receiver selections is to stop drafting so many good ones. So for a lot of these drafts, I'm drafting probably four decent wide receivers. And then in like rounds 11, 12, 13, adding a couple more in that kind of sweet spot and that range historically has been pretty profitable for the last three years on underdog. 
Mm -hmm. So I'm not going into this avalanche, what they're calling it, where I'm drafting six wide receivers in the first seven rounds because I don't think that the projections make sense there, but I'm not leaving the draft with just two good wide receivers. I don't think that's a viable strategy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, I guess I'll finish up with, with, with individual players. Is there a wide receiver or a couple wide receivers who you think are being drafted even now? Even yep. in this wide receiver craze, we drafted a round or so below where they should be. Well, I'll start just at the top real quick. Cooper Cup goes in the middle of round one. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if he's the first overall player this year. Just going mm-hmm. back to that Madden comment, uh, yes. he's healthy right now. It seems like Matthew Stafford's healthy right now. And that was kind of the uh, worry with them. But that duo could just be absolutely electric. I wouldn't be surprised if Cooper Cup had 200 targets this year. Mm-hmm. But for players mispriced by multiple rounds, I would say that I've been drafting Jordan Addison. Uh, he's the wide receiver 35, and then Deontay Johnson, wide receiver 36. I have them as my wide receiver three and four a lot of the time. Uh, starting with Jordan Addison, just last year, Adam Thielen was second in routes, only mm-hmm. behind Justin Jefferson. So this team is just going to be out there running a ton of routes, and that was when they were you know, winning these games. If we expect that that defense to be worse or just that the Vikings are not going to have as much luck, they could pass the ball just as much or even possibly more than they did last year. I think that Jordan Addison can play. And then Deontay mm-hmm. Johnson, he didn't score a single touchdown last year. Obviously, there's natural touchdown uh, regression positively for him. But even the, his downfield numbers, that's the kind of secret spot that I'm looking for. Downfield targets are worth a lot in fantasy football. They're mm-hmm. also very volatile just in nature. And Deontay Johnson had one of the worst downfield catch rates that you can possibly come up with. And I think most people would be like, oh, that's Kenny Pickett's fault. Well, George Pickens and Pat Fryermuth were at least league average in that Mm -hmm. category. So I think it was just him running really poorly. So I've been drafting him. And then my favorite late round guy right now is Rondale Moore. Mm-hmm. He gets labeled as a slot-only player. I think that he really is a slot-only player if you were building the perfect offense. The Cardinals don't have the perfect offense. Even last year, he played on 77% of the Cardinals' two wide receiver sets. That wow. really helps him out to get on the field more than players of his size. And then if Colt McCoy is out there, Colt McCoy in his last two seasons with the Cardinals, his A dot uh, average depth of target is under six yards. Well, that's where yeah. Rondell Moore really eats. So I think there could be some volume to chase with Rondell Moore. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Rondell Moore rising up charts now post the DeAndre Hopkins trade, or Dapkins release, I should say, but still certainly more upside there, I think, than people are giving him credit for. Agree wholeheartedly with you there. Um, this was great. I mean, hate it. Where, where can people check out more of your coverage of fantasy football, of best ball, and of the league as a whole? So I'm on Twitter at Hayden Winks. I post everything I do over there. But uh, Josh Norris and I, we have a football show on YouTube, Underdog Football Show, where we're breaking down a bunch of this stuff, getting to really niche topics, and then giving people just the player takes that everyone loves. So go give us a uh, subscribe over there. But yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on. On his honeymoon right now. Yes, just me right now. Just you taking over. You don't yeah. have to have him back on. You you can take control of the show right now if you want. Yeah, I gotta I gotta post some more videos. I'm hoping we get some uh, more traction. So I'm gonna record a Dalvin Cook video uh, myself. But give me more news while Josh is is out of town. <laughs> that that was my nightmare last year on my honeymoon. I was so afraid like Tom Brady was gonna retire, oh, or yeah. you know, for but thankfully he unretired before I left. Um, <laughs> such a weird weird universe this is where you can't take a break because uh, there's always stuff happening in the National Football League. But Hayden, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it.
Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks so much to my guest, Hayden Winks. Um, definitely a super smart guy, someone you should be following on Twitter. Definitely, whether you're playing best ball, whether you're playing fantasy football, just thinking about the league as a whole, I think someone who's really doing a lot of cool research and putting it into practice in what he publishes. Um, I have been uh, all over TV this week. We were on Get Up twice this week on Max Kellerman's show. This just in a couple times this week. Hope you guys enjoyed that if you saw it. Um, I'm, of course, writing and hopping on radio and doing podcasting, getting team fans of teams furious at me for no real reason. Uh, not trying to, but just happens to be working out that way so far. But hope you guys are enjoying football off season. Hope you guys are taking some time off. And we'll have more football coming next week. So thanks so much for listening to The Bill Barnwell Show.